Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Well, good evening, good evening, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. We uh, we gather together here in North Delaware at 5 p.m. Um, every Sunday, just about every Sunday, and we have a great meal from 5 to 5.30, and then at 5.30 we get started here live, uh, except for last week we started at 5 because of the – wasn't the Super Bowl last week that we do that? Last week that was fun. It was fun to watch. We had a bunch of people at our house, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, we had great food last week. And we have great food again this week. So you miss out when you don't come. You come come hungry, you won't leave hungry. Today, it's an interesting thing how uh, how these sermons come to me. It's ironic because there's a discussion going on on the Internet right now with a, a friend of mine, a fairly new friend of mine. And um, he is from Nigeria, and he is a lawyer. He has a firm in Philadelphia. He's highly respected. He also happens to be a conservative. Isn't that something? a black Nigerian lawyer that practices in Philadelphia is now taking a lot of heat from a guy who is also black, but neither an attorney uh, nor a Nigerian nor African, but he feels he's blacker than my friend. Isn't that something that I came to his aid and he said, oh, you better look who's supporting you on your page, um, the, the same people that want, seek to enslave you. This is modern day. This is modern day. Now, what I will tell you is, most likely, this fellow has no concept of who I am or what I am or what I do. But even more so, it ties into today, and it might seem obscure, but it does tie into today because how, how these sermons come to me is I more or less sermon is the more I trust God. The worse the sermon is, the more I trust me. And so today's message is on worship and praise, worshiping the Lord. And it's an interesting thing because I find some of the people that have the greatest anger in them uh, are so bereft of worship. They simply, they simply, the concept of surrendering fully and completely to God is so foreign to them. And so they don't experience worship. They don't experience praise. All they experience is anger. It's an interesting saying that uh, one of the few things I remember my pop-up ever saying to me is, um, you know, anger will choke you. If, if it fills your mouth, if anger fills your mouth, it can only serve to choke you. And uh, so unfortunately, that's what this person, but also what anger prevents from doing is from praise and worship. Praise and worship. Today we're going to talk about praise. We're going to talk about praising God and worshiping God, why we praise God, why he wants our puny praise, why in the world he want our puny praise. He's 
not a God. He's the God. He's not a God of the heavens. He's the God of heavens, the creator of heaven and earth and all in between. Why would he want our puny praise? Just so puny. What have we to offer him? And then the question is, who really benefits from our puny praise? Psalm 22.3 in the King James Version. This is for my buddy John. Used to be John and Diane used to be with us. And uh, so this quote from the King James Version is for him. Uh, he, he's, he's a huge fan of the KJV, so here you go. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. And then there's one, uh, the transition from the ESV is, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Folks, he inhabits the praises of his people. He is enthroned on the praises of his people. To inhabit this, live in, to enthrone is to give a position of authority. In our praise, in our spoken praise, specifically our spoken praise, God lives on earth. Did you realize that? When you speak praise aloud to God on earth by praise, he is brought into this realm in your situation of life, whatever your station is, whatever place you're in, whatever struggle you have, whatever blessings abound in your life, he's there when your praise and your worship of God is on your lips. Alive and filled with power, your situation becomes. Instead of anger choking you, fill your mouth instead. Worship and praise of not an holy God, but the holy God. He is also enthroned, given authority, enthroned. He's given authority. The person who is on the throne is in authority. The person who's enthroned is the person at the pinnacle. Place him with great respect, admiration, when we praise and worship him with our lips. You see, enthroning with our praise, enthroning God with our praise, it's very important. This phrase is very, very important because the absence of praise, and the absence of praise, who has been given authority here on earth? I'll answer you. Say, the, the vacuum, the blank space of time and our words that are spoken, if they are not of praise and worship to God, Adonai, and the silence filled with the dark one. Let me illustrate just a little about what I mean here. Acts sixteen twenty three through 26, this will be for you. And when they had laid upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safe. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner and made their fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises of God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. This Bible story begins the unjust arrest of Paul and Silas. According to the standards of that day, a prison was more like a dungeon. I've, pre- I've preached about it before. Go to the ninjapastor.com. You can find different sermons. I've talked about how they were five feet off the ground. 
Their, their ankles were behind them. Their arms were behind them. And they were hanging off the ground. Extraordinarily difficult to breathe, let alone speak, let alone pray, let alone sing praises to God. If anyone would have had in that damp, dark dungeon of a place, the stench, unbelievable. No facility for waste or comforts of any kind. If anyone would have had a right to say, I've got to preserve my oxygen for breathing, for surviving. I can't spend it on praise and worship and prayer. It would have been used to, but they didn't. In spite of the pain in their bodies and the disheartening atmosphere, at midnight, Paul and Silas were heard praying and singing praises to God. That very statement alone, you need to understand, they were heard praying and singing praises to God. The other prisoners throughout the prison where they were being held heard them. It was midnight, and they heard them. They were Loud. They weren't prayer in whispers. They weren't worshiping and praising and singing in whispers. They were singing and praying so loudly that everyone heard them. Then suddenly there was an earthquake that shook the prison. The doors flung open, and amazingly, the bonds of Paul, Silas, and every other prisoner were released. What caused this mighty discharge of power? I want you to think. I want you to grasp that before we go much further. Their praise and their worship and their prayer didn't loose just them from their bones. It loosed everyone within here. These mighty men of God, faith elevated and expressed. I say it all the time. I'll say it again. Perhaps if I were a tattoo and type, I would get a tattoo of me. Hesitant praise, no praise at all. Hesitant praise moves no mountain. Hesitant praise moves no sorrow. Hesitant praise moves no obstacle in your way. This is full of praise. It's elevated beyond our wildest imagination. And praise and worship, it elevates us into God's presence and power. It gives God the authority to act in a situation. Remember, inhabited, lives, enthroned, lives enthroned with us. Through praise and worship, their hearts are raised into joyous presence and peace of God and provided God a channel for his power to operate in their circumstances. You see, when they fit their circumstances, they saw something different. I would say to this fellow in engaging with me in social media, he thinks that he's seeking break the bonds of slavery and and all of the all the trains of racism which we do not deny. His history account is very poor. It's very one sided. He gives no account for his own people being the primary purveyors of slavery and the only place on earth that slavery is still practiced is among his people. He gives no account to that because he himself is enslaved 
in a worshipless and praiseless environment that is his own circumstances. You can give him a fancy watch, you can give him fancy clothes, you can give him a fancy car, you can do all those things, but still a prisoner. Because he doesn't know what it is to throne the one to whom all is owed. No matter the circumstances, we give God great power. We release to him when we praise. First Chronicles sixteen eight through 36. I'll read it really fast. Give thanks to Adonai. Call on his name. Make his deeds known among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Talk about all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let those seeking Adonai have joyful hearts. Seek Adonai and his strength. Always seek his presence. Remember the wonders he has done, his signs and his spoken judgments. You servants, the offspring of Yaakov, his chosen ones. He is Adonai our God. His judgments are everywhere on earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word he commanded to a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Adam. The oath he swore to Yitzhak and established as a law for Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land, which is Canaan, as your allotted heritage. You notice, I'll, I'll just interrupt myself here. You description and say that God said, I'm going to give you this land, give you this land until political pressures indicate that I should give back some. Maybe some of the societal I should give back some. I should let you have this area back from me, my gift to you. It's okay you give away as much as you need to create an illusion of peace. In fact, we know that they sin against God. And you know what? Every time someone in America and our safety of our homes clamors, yes, yes, give back land. Let them, give them the land. Give them the West Bank. Give us, give them that. Capitulate, and then there will be peace. There will never be peace so long as you give away what God has given to you. To you I will give the land of Canaan as your allotted heritage, when you were but few in number, and not only few, but aliens there too, wandering from nation to nation, from this kingdom to that people, he allowed no one to arrest them. Yes, for their sakes he rebuked even kings. Don't touch my anointed ones or do my prophets harm. And then he says in verse 23, Sing Adonai, all the earth. Proclaim his victory day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For Adonai is great and feared more than all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are nothing. But Adonai made the heavens. In his presence are honor and majesty. In his place, strength and joy. Give Adonai his due, you, you families from the peoples. Give Adonai his due for, of glory and strength. Give Adonai the glory due to his name. Bring offering and come into his presence. Worship Adonai's splendid, holy attire. Let me stop there. I'm not in splendid, 
holy attire tonight. I'm I'm wearing jeans and I don't I can't remember what the name of these shoes are. Some kind of nice shoes that are waterproof and a and a shirt and a watch and a, and uh, a little what do you call it? Uh, what's this thing called? A vest. Little vest. Michelin man vest. Yeah. And so I'm wearing this. This is not some sort of fine attire. But let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. This gives me pause. This gives me pause to think about how I dress when I come and address God's people. I think about this. I read this verse and I say, Worship Adonai in splendid holy attire. Hmm. So I should think about that. I should give some thought to everything and be thankful for everything that he put onto my body. But where does the attire come from? What does he speak? Robes of righteousness. Robes of righteousness. The beauty that is an attitude of worship and praise and honor and fear of not a holy God, but the holy God. Let the heavens rejoice. Well, let me go back here. Tread before him all the earth. The world is firmly established, immovable. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth glad. Let them say among nations, Adonai is king. Let the sea roar and everything in it. Let the fields exult and all that is in them. Then the trees in the forest will sing before Adonai because he has come to judge the earth. Give thanks to Adonai for he is good. For his grace continues forever. Say, save us, God, who can save us. Gather and rescue us from the nations so that we can thank your holy name and glory in praising you. Blessed be Adonai, the God of Israel, from eternity past to eternity future. And all the people said, Amen. And praise Adonai. That's First Chronicles 16, 8 through 36 in the complete Jewish Bible. Look, this passage focuses on the aspect of our faith that we commonly know as worship. It's very specific in it. And, and, and culturally, we've gone through so many different things in this country. And this broadcast is, is heard all over the world through the mecca of the Internet. All over the world. And there's all kinds of different uh, types of folks. I have some folks listen every week that are Russian Orthodox, but they listen. They gather together and they listen. And it's interesting because I have some familiarity with the Russian Orthodox, uh, how they, the practice of their it's very icon-oriented, but it's extremely reverent-oriented. It's powerful. My friend, Kukahalen, I, I wanted to bring him up because here's the thing. He's very, very sick. He's very, very sick. His his tumor markers are, are high, and they, they were really great after surgery, and now they're very, very high. And so we're just praying for him that, you know, the tide would turn for him, that, that we would get some good news, and uh, that he would be able to really, really just move forward in, in healing. And I have another friend that listens who's down in North Carolina, and her cancer, she has multiple myeloma, and, and her cancer, um, it's it's odd that I know so many people with a specific type of cancer that is fairly rare called multiple myeloma. And this particular lady is a very, very sweet lady, a very strong believer in God. And she really felt like she was in remission, but it turns out she's not. She went back to Duke, found out that, that she's not in remission. And, you know, we're all praying for her. She's praying for all of us that are praying for her. 
She's continuing to praise God. She's afraid and she doesn't understand. She said, I don't understand. I thought we were on a, a path here. We were, we were raising our praise to God. We were worshiping him, trusting him for his will. And I don't profess to understand his will. But, you know, the thing is, the difference between praise and what had a, a fellow tell me one time, a great uh, a black friend of mine that is a really strong gospel believer right from the core of his heart. And he said, you understand the difference between praise and worship, don't you? And I said, well, I think you. He said, let me just tell you just in case you don't because you probably don't. Jesus, Lord, thank you for my nice shoes. Thank you so much that I have these beautiful shoes that I wear around. In the rain and snow and the, the heat, the day and the rocky path and the smooth path. Thank you. Thank you for my shoes, Father. I praise you for my shoes. And he said, but worship is very, very different. Worship is, Father, thank you that I have feet that one day, if you choose, these shoes upon. And one day, I'll wear those shoes to praise you and to go further into the thicket to praise you. I worship you from you. That's a powerful difference. It's such a powerful difference. And you know what? Many, um, you know, this this whole passage focuses on worship and praise. And, and I, we get terms, and I'm going to go through and push some of it up. But a lot of people I've noticed lately have complained about an absence of worship. An absence of worship. But unfortunately, we're not really clear on what worship is, so we don't know really what we're missing. And I would encourage you to read First Chronicles 16 again. It's very instructive on the subject. So we want to talk about the nature of worship. There are a lot of inadequate Definition, subjective feelings or experiences, or as my uh, esteemed president of my seminary, Dr. Fry, Dr. Dennis Fry, wrote, wrote a book on whipped-up emotionalism, coined that term, whipped-up emotionalism. And he talks all throughout the great book that he wrote about this, this striving to reach a certain emotional reaction. And that is described to be when you feel that whipped-up emotionalism, that is worship, that is praise. But it's not so. It's an inadequate definition. How about outward performances, or as we say in the South, showing out? So-and-so showing out. Right? That person that's especially loud. That person who, who at inappropriate times, it doesn't make any sense. It always seems to be when sure that enough people are now, sufficiently enough people are listening, then they show out. They let you know, look, I'm, I'm really praising. What you're doing is fine for you if that's all you got. But this is what I do because I'm really close to God. God and I are like this. The look of piety. You know people like that. That is their work. And you know what? We can't say what's in the person's heart. But what we know is this. Different people are raised in different traditions. You know, um, my, uh, I, I have a dear friend who was not raised in outward worship and praise, that it was a very quiet, uh, sort of a hands-folded, very, very overtly reverent time. 
as a little child would go into the sanctuary, you were to walk, never to run. You were you were to the difference in posture you were to assume that you were if you were a male, you most assuredly would have taken off your hat. If you were uh if you were a lady, there was a certain expectation of you and and during the process of the service or the or any parts therein, it was a very respect and reverence, outward expression of reverence. I'm not saying that this is wrong, but I'm saying to define simply as one of these things would be inadequate. The dictionary definition of worship, declaring God's worth or expressing his praise. This is a lot of fun. Biblical definition comes from the word that translated both worship and bow down or make ob- obeisance. You ever heard that word obeisance? It's deferential respect. They paid obeisance to the prince. Some synonyms for that are respect, homage, worship, adoration, reverence, veneration, honor, submission, or deference. He made a very elaborate gesture of obeisance with that. That's when your president bows to a Saudi king. That's when when you bow, the lower you go in some cultures, the more obeisance you show. It a deep obeisance. So if your bow is just, you know, in Japan, if your bow is a little tilt the head and no bend from the waist, guess what? You weren't very respectful. But the deeper your bow is, the more reverent you're expected to be. Outward bowing that reflects inward bowing. Inward bowing as a result of recognizing the greatness of God, the smallness of man, and the chasm of difference in between folks. In this society, in the postmodern emergent church, we, we have recreated God in our own image, and we've said, hey, God, you're bro. Me and God, we're bro. Jesus, my bro. And it sickens me to hear it. People say, well, yeah, I'm just identifying with God. You know, I'm just the man upstairs. We're just, we're like just you know, and then they make some sort of stupid symbol. And say to that, up in your faith. That's not closeness to God. That's disrespect of the Almighty King. You would never walk into the presence. You know, it's it's ironic to me. Beyonce, a lot of people over her her, her disrespectful and, and racist rant she did in her half-clothed, she forgot her pants, uh, thing during the time of the Super Bowl. A lot being made of that. There's, there's a whole lot being made of that. And it's really, quite frankly, backfiring in face and in the NFL's it's interesting to me that, that her homage is to law enforcement haters and Black Lives Matter and, you know, all these different things at a family show, a halftime of a family show, ostensibly a halftime show, which, again, she forgot to wear her pants. You know, there's a lot of people, especially young girls, sadly, that worship that woman. They worship her. They Oh, jeez. And when and I watched some interviews, just as you know, I don't know who she is. I mean, I'm, I don't listen to her music, air quotes. I don't watch her entertaining again, air quotes. I'm afraid what all the clothing she's going to forget next time. And so I don't watch her, but I I force myself to say, okay, let me let me just learn a little bit about this person. Where did she get her start? Sadly and tragically, her her initiation into music was singing gospel music in her family's church. 
And I think, wow, you know, you know the origin of praise and worship, and you know honoring God is not the two kisses on the lip and the peace sign up to heaven. Thing that we do can be a sign of praise and worship, can be an expression of thanking God. But how many people walk around? I'll just go back to this guy on social media. Walk around with a perpetual aggrieved state. I call them the perpetually and professionally aggrieved because you know what? If we look at this one side of history, then we have reason for grievance. And you know what else we have? We have a claim for reparation. But when we turn inward and we look back to our own culture and we say, how many are being enslaved in our own culture right now? Well, there's nothing to gain from that, is there? There's nothing at all to gain from living that lie. So, of course, we turn to the others and we say, I'm angry at you and I'm just angry at you and you should be ashamed of yourself. And, oh, by the way, how about greasing my palms with a little reparation? That would be nice if you'd make that happen. Worship is an attitude that recognizes the greatness of God and inwardly bows. Well, I know lots of people who physically can't bow their head. I found it very striking that when there was a moment of silence for uh, Justice Tenen's Leah, that of all the people on the stage, there was one person that didn't bow their head, and that was Donald Trump. I was very disappointed. And and frankly, uh, you know, he's had good schooling. He's, you know, he's got great people around him. I was surprised he didn't know that. You bow your head. He will not submit. He wants to be the king. Worship is an attitude. What is an attitude? Where is an attitude originated? It originates inside you, in your spirit. Something that is celebrated from within you without hesitation or reservation. You inwardly bow result. Manner of how we worship the manner of worship. There are many ways to do this we call and some attitude to him. Pray the middle of verse 8. Testify to what he has done at the end of verse 8. Sing to him and about him the beginning of verse 9. Exalt him. Glory in his name. The verse 10. Rejoice in him, the middle of verse 10. Call on him in every time of need. Did you realize that when you call upon Christ, when you call upon the name of God in your need, what you're actually doing is worshiping him? Because you're saying, I should go to no other place. None help me, none but you, God. So I go to you. I lift my hands of praise to you, O Lord, because you're the only one that can change my circumstances. You're the only one who has the power to make the mountain that you now move. Folks, it's an eerie and interesting assessment. But when we constantly remind ourselves of what he has done, 
especially as it's talked about in verse 12, in our personal lives. How many of us have had perfect and smooth personal lives? How many of us are living a perfect and smooth personal life? Not many. All of us have trials. All of us have struggles. All of us have sorrows. All of us have habits and hang-ups. And we all, in our personal life, fall into the trap of, I'm going to fix this myself. The surrender all, the hymn, I surrender all to him I give. Some of it I give, that I give. What I feel like he can do that I know the rest of it I can do, I'm going to keep for myself. But then I'll give uh, some. I, actually, I'm going to change the verse I just said. Um, I surrender some, some I, I surrender to him. No, it's I surrender all. All to him I give. Oh, what a mighty, powerful thing to have that kind of acknowledgement, that eerie acknowledgement that, you know what, I am small and he is great, and he is greatly to be praised. Which brings me to my next point, the object of worship. Verse 14 through 22, he is God. He is God, none other before him or after him. He is the living God. Allah, are you kidding me? He is not alive, and he is not our God. He is the powerful God, created the heavens and earth. No other created the heavens and earth, only him. He was, he is, and he always will be. He is the personal God. What faith do you have that that the origin of the faith, capital O, says, I am your God, and you are my people. And then I'm going to send a paraclete. I'm going to send a counselor, a wise counselor, to care so much for you. He's going to come alongside you. That I'm going to catch your sorrows. I'm going to keep an account of your sorrows. I'm going to catch your tears in a bottle. He is the personal God and he is the active God because he's not numb your pain. He's not numb to your sorrow. He's not numb to your fears. He doesn't disrespect your fear of the future, your sickness, your sorrow, your pain. None of those things, your confusion. He's not numb to it. He's an active God and he's actively inhabiting all that we have and are and can see and can possibly conceive of. We praise and we worship him. We feel like things are really bad. Those of you on the on the conservative right are very, uh, how this discussion happened was, my good friend, to be a better friend, uh, says, does a post and says, you know, our uh, prayers go out to or something of that sort, much respect, rest in peace. Uh, to Justice Scalia. And this other person said, oh yeah, he's the one that said black people are too dumb to go to upper level schools. They should go to lower level schools because their brains aren't. He didn't say that, first of all. It's it's taken a snippet of an interview that's taken totally out of context, but that would not buy his anger. That would not feed his anger sufficient. The truth would not be enough to feed his anger. 
and thereby his aggrieved state such that he's going to get reparation. So he jumped into this discussion when this other gentleman was showing respect to Justice Scalia. But if you're a conservative, you're very concerned right now. The sage of the court, you're very concerned that this conservative originalist is now gone. And the president that we have in place, who much of a farce of a constitutionalist as you have ever seen. We were sold a bill of goods. Well, he's a constitutional attorney. So, of course, he knows the Constitution respects it. He's going to follow it. Turns out he wasn't a constitutional attorney. In fact, now he's not an attorney at all, nor is his wife. They both had to surrender their licenses a long time ago. And he wasn't a professor. Uh, he wasn't a constitutional professor. He was an adjunct professor. And some of what he taught about as an adjunct professor was the Constitution. I add, he never was moved into a professorship because he was poor quality and not well regarded. But that's your president. And now he has the power to submit someone for consideration for that spot on the Supreme Court. And I would say to you, we are indeed in trouble. But we know that God's judgments, his judgments, are being worked out on the earth. And sometimes his judgments hurt. His discipline is painful. But you know what we also know? In verses 15 to 20, we learn that he keeps his commitments, what he says he will do, he does. We learn in verses 21 through 22 that he protects his people. We have nothing to fear. We have an obligation to do the right thing, but we have nothing to fear as long as we are operating in his hand. What is the impact of worship? Verses 23 through 27 speaks of this. Since worship is an internal, it, it, and I, I want to make sure I'm clear on this, worship is an internal attitude. And since it is an internal attitude, we expect it to show in certain attitudes and actions based on it. In the churchy church, we call that fruit. But these would include praising the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, submission to the Lord, obedience to to the Lord's word, reverence of the Lord's person, witnessing for him. This is the best way to share his greatness with others. And you know what? If you've got nothing good to say about God, maybe you've got the wrong God. Maybe you don't have an understanding. Maybe you don't have an attitude of gratitude. Maybe you don't have an understanding of what he's done for you behind the scenes. Do you know people like that who have it so well? and yet are so ungrateful. I, at different points of time in my life, have been that person. I've been so blessed, and yet I didn't have full contact with my blessing. And you know what happens when you're like that? The blessing gets taken away. We don't change when we see the light. No. We change when we feel the flame from the church that provides the light. Much better to listen to God when he's whispering than when he raises his voice. But witnessing for him, having something good, something positive to say, to break the 
the clay, the frozen clay that has become your face into a smile. In a while, nobody wants to be a, a part of a sourpuss Christianity. Nobody wants that. Nobody's attracted to that if you're constantly. If you're constantly downtrodden, if you're constantly focusing on the negative of life, nobody wants that. And therefore, it's not attractive to anyone else. With him, tell others what he has done for you. Share his greatness and pray to him. If you're silent before God, that's not praise. Paul and Silas were singing and worshiping true, but it began with praying and the outcropping of a communication with the living God, the one who could exchange their chains. Now, I don't know that they were praying to be released from that prison. I don't know that they were praying, Father, take us from this terrible place where we're, where we're hanging in our own. I wondered, what were they saying? What were they saying? When they were before God and praising God, what were they saying? Can you imagine ever being in that low of a place and praying and worshiping and praising God such that your chains were loosed? Have you been in that place? Have you ever been in such a low, low place? I would submit most of us have. We haven't been in that place. We haven't been enslaved. We haven't been chained. What happens? The attitude that comes upon us, the hurt, habit, and hang-up. The attitude of enslavement, the attitude of, oh, I got it bad. Look, my friend Chris, I brought my friend Chris up. Despite all of what he's going through, praises God. This lady, Christine, her name is Christine Steelgates. If you're on my Facebook, send her an encouraging word. Let her know that we paid for her tonight. Let her know that we speak her name before the assembly and before God in petition for relief from her cancer. This is a woman of faith. This is a woman of incredible faith. And today, I don't know how many of you know, but um, and so many people have such unkind things to say about her. I'm not even sure it, it, she would be treated kindly if the public announcement were made, but Christine O'Donnell and Jenny O'Donnell, two very good friends of mine, um, they their mother passed away. And uh, she she was valiantly fighting cancer, and we all thought that that this would be a victory. But it is in fact a victory because I know in whom she believed, and He is holding her perfected body in her hands. But it's tough. It's tough to pray for so long. Father, deliver my mother. When it's your mother, it's a tough thing. There are many in this room that have prayed that prayer. There are some in this room that have prayed that prayer for your children. There's some in this room that have prayed that prayer for your spouse. It's a difficult thing. And it's normal to question God. But you know what? The questions of God when we're praying constantly and we're praising and we're worshiping Him, the questions become answers because He says, inhabited, lives within our praise. Listen, all of those things I just mentioned, praising the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, submission to the Lord, obedience to the Lord's word, reverence. You know what? You can't obey the Lord's word if you don't what? Know it. If you don't read it and know it, you can't obey it. I don't care what anybody says. Reverence of the Lord's person, witnessing for him, praying to him. All these show an important side of worship. 
and they should occur as part of our service to God. The name of my ministry is Worship and Serve Ministries. People ask me all the time, look, I'm praying that God reveal to me what I'm to do with my life. What is his plan for my life? So I'm just kind of in this holding pattern. No, don't be in a holding pattern. Here's what you do. You worship and you serve. You trust. You obey. Wherever he says to go, you go. And if that place where he says to go is the mean streets of Wilmington, Delaware, instead of some fancy place overseas that you can put on your resume and brag about for the rest of your life, then go to Wilmington, Delaware. But what's even worse is what if it's your neighbor? God says, I want you to talk to the neighbor about me. I want you to let him or her know what you think of me and what I've done in your life. If he says that, do it. Don't look for the bigger thing. I say this to people all the time. Don't look to have some fancy or some place, this, this, this thing that you do that you can speak of for the rest of your life with great reverence. Billy Graham, I've, I've read virtually every book Billy Graham has written. Billy Graham's the reason why I'm a preacher today. And I can tell you this. One of the things that I find so captivating about this man's heart and attitude is this. And we don't agree on all the theology. We don't agree on a, on a lot of different things. You'd be surprised to know that I don't agree with everything with everybody. That's a shocker to everybody. But here's the thing. Something that he said that I found was so powerful. He was interviewed uh, one day by a famous interview, world-renowned interviewer. And he said, Dr. Graham, you've been all over the world. You know what it is to stand at the edge of a stage and with the magical choreography that you do and reach to the crowd and give an invitation. And just as I am, Joe Beverly Shea sings just as I am. And the choir joins and so many other people in the crowd join. And, and then all of a sudden, hundreds, if not thousands of people respond. You know what it's like to have that response all around the world. What must that feel like? Can you share that with us? And he said, I have a sense of regret. I have a sense of sorrow. Because I go into town. I'm sure here in the little town where I live, I'm privileged to live. Well, they live up on a mountain, but when they go down into town, that I bump into people that don't get that outstretched hand, that don't respond to the gospel, the beautiful gospel of Christ. And I walk by. I'm pleased that God is honored overseas in all the far-flung places around the world and that thousands have come. But I grieve the one that I walk past as insignificant and unworthy of my best praise. Folks, your worship should be part of your service, and your service doesn't necessarily have to have a fancy title. It just has to be of depth from your soul, from your attitude in your heart. And listen, you know what? It can't be limited just to service. That sounds funny to say. Well, you just told us your name of your ministry is Worship and Serve. But here's the crazy thing. You can't just serve. You can't just lean forward and plod ahead and just serve. You can't do it. You have to also worship. And you know, we've all been in this really tough place. Really, really tough place. We're privileged to have um, 
and from Southern Sense Radio, which is a great radio show, tremendous show. Listening down south, you know, praise and worship and 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 your biblical life very very different. In South Carolina, it's very different. In North Carolina, all these places, Texas, when you go to a church here in the north, especially the northeast, isn't it? Have you ever had the privilege of going to a church down south? It's a it's a different experience altogether. Church is just viewed differently there, isn't it? And there's a lot of acts of service. People are milling about, doing a lot of different things. Everybody is busy. But when it comes time to worship, what happens? Let's stop everything. And let us worship the reason we're here in the first place. Amen? It can't be limited to service, folks. You can't, you can't say, well, I'm covering my bases. I've run the vacuum in the church. I've, I've gone up to the church and I've, I've painted the scrapes, although that's all beautiful things. And you know what else? That can be worship. That can absolutely be worship, but it can't be limited to that. There has to be time where you say, I'm stepping aside in a way because I've got to praise God. I've got to worship God. The one who has so drastically and dramatically changed my life every single day. You know what? Praise and worship, if it's done right, it actually becomes a total way of life. Inhabits within. When do you breathe? You just pick different times throughout the day. Hey, you know what? Between 1 and 2 a.m., I'm going to breathe. I'm going to take a break between 2 and 5, and then I'm going to pick this breathing thing up again. No, you breathe all the time. He has to breathe within you, and your praise for and of him has to breathe within you as well. Worship, true biblical worship, is surely missing in the postmodern Western evangelical church. And it's tragic to say. I, I talk about this in my book, Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. I talk about how it's a show. Everything is a show. It's a production. And sadly, we miss the crux of worship. And I'm not saying that great music is not wonderful. But where's it coming from? What's its purpose? True biblical worship. If we're doing it right, biblical worship actually permeates all aspects of our life, everything we do. You say, Dr. Sean, how can that be? How about when you go to the grocery store? You don't get that space right up front that you like to get, and you go in and, you know, that, that show Cheers, everybody knows your name, right? You go in, and, and no matter how rough your day has been, you greet everyone with a smile. Even though you had to walk across in the rain from that farthest parking space, and you stepped in a puddle, and you had your flats on instead of your... I don't wear flats, by the way. Um, not anymore. They made me look too small. Uh, but you, you didn't have your rain shoes on, so you got your feet are wet. And now you're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to be wet all day long. It's going to be terrible. I better get a cold, and that will turn into the flu. I'll get pneumonia. And then, you know, blah, 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 they're going to come take my And then everything. You're, you're, and the whole world is just crashing before you ever get to that little moving door. And nowadays you don't even have to open the door yourself, right? The door just moves. And you walk in, and someone greets you. And you bite their head off. Or you allow praise and worship to permeate every aspect of your life. And you walk through those doors. And you wash yourself of the rain and the struggle. And you thank God that you have the money in your pocket to buy food in the store 
where you don't have to go kill it or, or do whatever it is, grow it and, and pull and do all these other things that are beautiful, wonderful things. Believe you me, I'm a big fan. But if you're not up to that task just yet, thank God there's a place you can go where someone else has done that for you. And you go in with an attitude of gratitude and you say, thank you for welcoming me today. How are you today? And they say, fine, how are you? And you take the time to say, you know what, I'm really good. I'm really good. I didn't have to walk here today. I had a car to carry me here out of the rain, safe. I even had music in the car. Who would have thunk it? And you remember that what you were listening to on the way in was praise music or maybe tapes. People don't listen to tapes anymore. But listening to CDs or, 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 or lessons or books, you know, they have books on tape. My book is on, you can actually, you can actually it's electronic, and I'm going to do an a, uh, audio book of it. So you have those things, and this should be going through your mind. And at the end of those things that you take an account of, you should say, thank you, God. And then that gratitude should permeate all areas of your life, the grocery store, the post office, your job, your home. Everyone you bump into, man, there's something different about that person. Man, there's something wonderful about that person. Biblical worship is an attitude that would change the way we think and also the way we live if we let it. It would change the way we think and it would change the way we live if we let it. Biblical worship, as detailed in the passage in Chronicles, Biblical worship, it can change your life moment by moment. But you don't go into it and you, you don't go into it and say, look, I'm going to praise God to see if it changes anything. I'm going to praise God here for a few minutes to see if he'll get up off his duff and do something for me. You know, I've, I've needed stuff for so long. You'd think by now he'd do something for me. Guess what's going to happen? Not much. Not much is going to happen because you know what? He inhabits real praise. He's enthroned on real, true, authentic praise from your heart. The binary of your righteousness that, that, that clothes you is from a true heart of worship and praise. So if you're just faking it till you make it, that's a famous thing. Oh, I'm just faking it till I make it. If it's not real, it won't deal. Look, I could go on all night. If it don't fit, you must have quit. You know, but the fact of the matter is, that's real. And I guess ultimately it ends up being this. How deep is your worship? How deep is your praise? How deeply do you worship that obeisance? How deep do you bow? How deep do you bow? Do you understand the comparison we're talking about here is the depth of your praise and your worship. Look then back to what you know of the cross. How deep was his love? He had a choice. There was no need for him to go to the cross if he didn't see fit. But he said, not your will, Father. Not my will, Father, but yours. But if at any point in time he said, no, they're not worth it. They're not worth it. I could see shallow praise. I could see shallow wor worship if we were talking about a God who sent his duck or something. But he didn't. He sent his son. 
And he sent him to live a sinless life 33 years here on the earth. And then he was tortured. And he died a gruesome, horrible death. But the borrowed grave is empty. Almost every other grave that's ever been filled with the bones of a human being still has the bones of a human being. Oh, they may be dust, but they're there. But the borrowed grave of Yeshua Hamashiach is most assuredly empty because he is risen. He is alive. And if you cannot find the depth of worship in that, the fulfillment of all prophecy, save one. If you cannot find the hope and joy despite this really jacked up world, then you need to be reminded how deep How deep is your love? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Can you imagine a more amazing, powerful thing than the deep, deep love of Jesus?
interesting to me, that song, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, performed by Selah. I don't know if you've ever heard of that band, brother and sister, missionary kids to the Congo, Todd and Nicole, and their friend that they met in college and plays piano. Phenomenal. But you have to know their story to understand why that song is so powerful. You talk about praise. Here are uh, very fair-haired white kids who spent their entire childhood and their parents are still there in the Congo. They've been in prison so many. They've had their village burned out so many times. They've been chased with guns and machetes and they faced the firing squad so many times. And yet, they still live. These kids have been so sick from the diseases of the Congo, which we have no way of fighting. They know what it is to live in a thatch hut when they don't have to. When they don't have to. The parents could very easily say, we've served, we've worshipped, we've praised God long enough. We can come home now. But they don't. What do they do? They bow deeply in obeisance. They praise and they pray and they worship a living and almighty king. How then can we, from this comfortable place, be so complacent about our praise and our worship for the Almighty King. 